Well, good morning, Valley Family Church. As always, you look good. You look real good. How you doing? Thank you. This table, this table's doing good in case you wondered. Uh, well, last time I spoke was the first week of the series. And what I learned from that was your intro is supposed to be five minutes. Mine was about 25 minutes. So we're skipping the intro today. But I do want to recap in case you weren't here for each and every week. This is the fourth uh, week in the series. And as I said, I did have the uh, honor and pleasure to share the first week. And on that first week, I really just wanted to lay some foundation work how the Bible is our source. And we talked about God absolutely, positively has promises in regards to finances for his children. But he also has a process to go to those promises. We talked about Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the customs or the ways of this world to get to those promises. So I don't say, hey, you know what? This is the way I'm going to handle my money, the world's ways. But God, I'm going to expect those promises. No, God's got promises, and he is ready and willing and excited to get him to us, but he has a process. We talked a little bit about some uh, ways to reduce debt. In week two, Pastor Jeff kind of just talked about our financial state as a country and as individuals, and maybe how we can turn that ship around. And then last week in week three, Pastor Jeff just talked about giving and the heart of God for giving and for finances. And so Pastor Jeff asked me to uh, speak this fourth week, and he said, Brody, I want you to get super, super practical. And so I'm here with some very, very um, practical things and a few heart things to talk about today. And so today we have four points. He has four points, and then we'll be out. First point is whatever you do, whatever you do. The second point is do I have a plan? Do I have a plan? Third point, decisions, decisions. And then the last point, well, is he or isn't he? So that first point, whatever you do. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for mere humans. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because I don't know about you, but... Uh, I'm guilty of compartmentalizing my life or subcompartmentalizing my life. You know, here's what I do. We go, man, these things are really important to God, these sacred things, these prayer and worship and Bible reading and giving. And then there's just the other stuff that God doesn't seem to care about as much, you know, the way I handle my finances, oh, how I work, um, these hobbies. And so we can divide our lives, but really God is a God of unity, To say that God is like, oh, this is important, Brody, whatever over there would be inaccurate. But it's a a trick that we fall into. I know I do where I go, these things, not as important. But what we see there is whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we'll see a few more verses that kind of prove that point. But here's the best proof is Jesus' life. You know, Jesus lived 33 years on this earth, and he didn't do a single miracle. He didn't do public ministry until he was 30. So what happened those first 30 years? You think his life was glorifying to God? In fact, when he was baptized in the river and he came out, this is what God said to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done a miracle yet. He hadn't stood up and preached anything. It shows me that whether you eat, whether you drink, Whatever you do for your hobbies, however your finances look like, how you raise your kids, sacred things or what we think are less sacred, whatever we do, we're doing it all for the glory of God. John 3, 6. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. In Galatians 5, 25. Since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we're not just learning these finances, this stuff, to learn how to apply some knowledge. We're learning how to honor God in every single area of our life. Whatever you do. Point one. What? That was quick. Baby, we get now early today. I can promise you this. We ain't getting out early today. Buckle up. All right, here we go. Number two. Do I have a plan? Do I have a plan? Finances, plan. He's going to talk about budgeting. John Maxwell said this, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Dave Ramsey said it this way, money without a name is called spent. A few people yelled it out, must have been FPU grads. But if you're honest with yourself, you'd say, yeah, where does all my money go? I guarantee there's people that you work hard. You drive some crazy commutes, put up with some crazy traffic, probably put up with some crazy coworkers, put up with some crazy bosses. Not you, donut workers. You have a great boss. <clears throat> you work hard, long hours for that money. Where the heck is it, right? The median income in a family in Kalamazoo is about 50000 The average income in America for a family is 80000 We'll just take that lower number right now to make it simple. 50000 a year. Um, if you work your whole life, let's say 40 years, age 25 to 65. 40 years, 50000 Mathematician? Two million bucks. I don't know about you, but two million bucks to me is a lot. If you're on the 80,000 average, that's 3.2 million. When you say it like that, that's, that's a lot. And I know many of you make more than that. So you figure out two million, 3.2, 4 million, whatever it may be. Where does that go? You know, there's an alarming stats out there. And uh, one that I shared first week is 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Basically, that's eight out of 10. So if you're sitting there with your wife and you guys aren't living to paycheck to paycheck, the eight people around you are. Dang. Or how about this alarming fact that, that as people get to retirement now, more and more people have no money for retirement. They get to 65 or whatever it may be and they're in trouble. And um, a lot has to do with that. But before we figure out where that two million go, there are a few things about money. And the first thing is this, money is active. Money is active. And that's why it's of utmost importance to be proactive, to have a plan. Do I have a plan? You know, it's active. It's, got, it's called currency. It has a current. Here's just a, a lesser example before we get into a greater one. I'm going to go after, after a church maybe today and go to Chipotle and get my barbacoa um, burrito bowl because you get the tortilla on the side. Then you can fill the tortilla and then you get a burrito and actually more food. All right, that's, that's, that's just some practical wisdom. All right, never mind. And I'm going to pay with cash because that's what we do in the envelope system. And they're going to take that $10 or whatever it is, and they're going to deposit that in the bank probably on Monday. And then somebody's going to withdraw that on Monday. And they're going to fly to Salt Lake City, and they're going to spend that money. And that money's going to go. And a week from now, that money's going to be somewhere else. It's active. It's moving. has a current to it. It's currency. Makes sense? Yeah, sort of. All right. <laughs> Here's another example. Um, that money is active and it's moving. It's always flowing. You know where it's flowing? It's flowing from people who don't manage it well to those who do manage it well. 
Money is constantly flowing, and it's flowing from those who don't manage it well to those who manage it well. And here's a good example. $32.5 billion. 32 billion dollars. That's how much we paid in in overdraft fees last year to banks and credit unions. People who don't manage it well lose out. I looked at my my bank account and there was 40 bucks in there, but I decided to spend 50. I still owe them the 50. Oh, and they dinged me for $29. People who don't manage their money well, that money flows to those who do manage it well. Maybe you didn't like that example. How about this one? We have places where you can rent to own businesses, rent to own centers, rent to own centers. That was, that was a joke. You didn't get it. You'll get it next time around. You might say, hey, I don't have a washer and dryer right now, the state I'm in. And you know what? I'm sick of going to the laundromat because there ain't nothing good that happens at the laundromat, right? Stinks. They want to charge you like 250 to do a load of laundry. You can't even leave. Somebody's going to steal my stinking wet clothes. What kind of world do we live in? The laundromat. Been there. All right, so you know what? I need a washer and dryer. I can't afford one. I know I'm going to rent it to own it. They'll give us a great deal over there at those places. So, hey, for just $29.99 a week, we'll give you this used washer and dryer. And over a year and a half of paying that, then we'll just give it to you. Well, here's the fact. Most people don't make it to the year and a half and give it back and they start over. But let's say you're a little more faithful and you do. You get to a year and a half on that used washer and dryer where you paid almost $2,400 for a washer and dryer that wasn't even worth half of that, where you could have went to Home Depot and got the one with the scratch on it for a fourth of that. People who don't manage their money well, that money unfortunately goes out to those who do manage it well. There was a really popular book, came out a while back, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits was this, that people who win and succeed in life start at the end. They have the end in mind. So when they start and they begin, they're beginning with the end versus starting with the now. Because successful people happen to life instead of life happening to them. Too often as a, uh, we sit down with people one-on-one, one-on-two, run across uh, somebody with a victim mentality. And I know life will deliver your blows, so I'm not trying to downplay that, but it's the, man, no matter what I do, I'm getting a blow, and then I kind of get back on, back on track, and then this happens, and then and they can never win because I have a victim mentality. I'm always being reactive in life instead of proactive in life. People who win have the end in mind, have a plan. They're proactive, not reactive. And that's why, unfortunately, 78% of Americans are, in fact, living paycheck to paycheck. paycheck. You, know, you know how I know it's not God's will, as he says in Proverbs 21:20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. You catch that? Fools spend whatever they get. Don't get mad at me, God said it. Just kidding. I don't bring it up to make anyone feel bad. That's not our goal. Our goal is to empower you and help you and bring you the word of God. Remember, it's the truth. Truth will set you free. You remember week one. You're all over it. What? No, sir? All right, watch the YouTube if you would. Um, But to recognize that that's not God's best. God's God's always promoting wisdom for us. In wisdom, there's wealth and luxury, and foolish spend or consume all they have. So what that shows me, if the world's ways is producing 8 out of 10, not having enough, just enough to get paycheck to paycheck, that's not God's best. That's foolishness. And we got a lot to learn, and I'm going to glean from God and his word so I can have his best. Amen? So we're talking about being proactive instead of reactive. 
So the perfect starting point for being proactive instead of reactive is the zero-based budget. What is the zero-based budget, Brody? I'm glad you asked. It's the most uh, proactive of all the budgets, and it's the epitome of telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. It works like this. The Lord ordained this nice. I tell you what, it's almost a new month. Budget started at the first of the month. Yeah, oh man, God, you're good, Jehovah Jireh. He brought me the message at the right time. Can I get an amen, sir? Thank you, thank you. All right, I need it. All right, um, so here's how it work. We know a new month is coming up. We'll take the Hawks, for example. We know that this particular month in November, we're each going to receive two paychecks. Right? Every other Friday for us, there'll be two of them that fall in there. We know after tax, Megan's going to receive X amount. I'm going to receive, receive X amount. We know how much is coming in of that fixed income. Great. We know how much is coming in. Now what we're going to do on paper, or in our case, Excel spreadsheet, is we're going to spend every single dollar of that on something. We're going to give everything a name ahead of time. So there's going to be names we're going to give out, like we're going to give a name out to investing, uh, to paying down the mortgage, to entertainment budget, to paying the bill. Every dollar is going to get a name, because if it doesn't have a name, it's called spent. Because you, you know, and I know, I showed you two million bucks, three million, four million in your lifetime, falls through the cracks in the fingertips. Because it doesn't have a name, it's called spent. And so I know sometimes it's easier um, to see it, so we're going to kind of put one up there and show you what it looks like. So here we go. Made up numbers, made up people. Let's call them Kyle and Kirsten, the two people up here. All right. $5,200 of income after tax for Kyle and Kirsten. So we have 5200 to spend because, you know, you want it to get equal zero. So we got 750 here in giving. We got some savings there. We got some a mortgage, utilities, food. Again, these are just made up numbers. If you're like, that's not what we pay, calm down. It's just an example. <laughs> Transportation, insurance, I learned as you get grown up, you know, people have those shirts that say, I don't want to grown up today. Man, before you decide you want to get married and get all grown up, decide you want to pay some insurance, I tell you what, that's just a little bit of it. Personal care, that second to bottom one there, the Hawks are learning first and foremost, child care. You want how much to watch our kid? No, I'm just kidding. So, but you can see there's 5,200 of income after tax coming in, and we've spent on paper the outgo is 5,200, so that equals zero. Because if we don't give every one of those dollars a name, it will get spent, and we will have nothing to show for it. Now, we are spending on some great things. You're paying down the mortgage. We're investing a bunch. We're saving a bunch. We have an entertainment budget. We get to do fun things, but we're giving every single dollar a name. Zig Ziglar said it this way. If you aim at nothing, guess what? You're going to hit it every time. Is that what my life and my finances to be? Nothing? No, I want to have a goal. I want a vision. I want to have a plan. We have a mark. We hit that thing. We're proactive. We have the end in mind. We win. I'm sick of being reactive. Let's be proactive. There's a few reasons, though, that budgets tend to fail. And I'm going to give you a few of those. First one is we leave things out. You know what? When you first start, it's going to be hard. You might do that first month and you go, man, I stink at this. But just like with anything, when you, when you start, you stink. You know, when you first started riding a bike, how'd that go for you? Fell down, right? Great example, and you'll like this one. I love you, honey. Is uh, We decided two years ago we bought a car. It was a stick shift. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Well, I did actually teach my wife how to drive a stick shift probably a good 10 years ago, just briefly, but she never really owned it, let's just say that. So we were looking for a car about two years ago. I'm on Craigslist, you know, scouring, looking for low miles, good price. We're paying cash. We're going to get a deal. Every time I find one that seemed good, she'd go, is it a stick shift? 
It is. No. But it's a no. All right, well, no. Okay, no stick shifts. And then my cousin decides he's selling his car. You're getting the family deal. Low miles. Is it a stick shift? It is. Ah, this is my wife. Go, I don't want a stick shift. I'm going to have a baby soon. I don't want to drive it. Finally, she goes, it's a great deal. Let's do it. Stick shift. So buy the car. Fast forward. <clears throat> Her, me, stick shift outside the cathedral, the parking lot. You know, the big, wide, wide, wide parking lot, you know. And they say it's not smart for husbands and wives to try to teach each other skills like that. I know this because I was a golf pro, like the kind that teach for a living, not played for a living. And they always encourage, well, I would say for two reasons that husbands and wives should not teach the other one to play golf. Because one, from what I've noticed, and I've been around golf a lot, is uh, you stink at golf. You're not good. It's blind leading the blind. So how how is the husband who stinks at golf going to teach the wife how to golf when what I see is... Dude, you stink. That's funny. I'm sorry. Well, you like it. The second is this. You want to ruin your afternoon real quick? Try to teach the other person how to do a skill like this. But we got no choice. I can't drive every day. So here we are out there in the cathedral parking lot, the, the wide portion of the parking lot, you know. All right, lovey. This is how it works. The gas, the brake, the clutch, shift. Okay. We're getting whiplash. You know, neck's hurting. We're stalling it out. We're revving those RPMs. Maybe they're hitting seven, eight. I'm like, honey, now might be a good time to shift. I've, I don't, whatever. Uh, how do I shift? I've forgotten everything. Uh, turn, we're going to hit. Okay. But we got through that first day. You know, she wasn't good when she started, right? Stalled it maybe a time or two on the way home. This is so embarrassing. I hate this. Why did you make us get a stick shift? That's, that's kind of how it went down. All right. You know, a week or two later, she's fine. You know, a couple months later, man, she's driving, drinking a cappuccino, putting her makeup on, talking to the baby, sending an email, knees on the wheel, elbow shifting. Baby, she's all good. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't text and drive. We don't advocate that here at Valley Family Church. <laughs> Get the point? When she first started, she was no good. It's going to take a little time. If you think, I did that budget thing, the zero base you said, buddy, then it was too tough. I'm not going to do that. Well, of course, when you first start, you're not going to be good at anything. We start, I started a golf league for just a, a handful of guys this year from, uh, from, from Via Sears. And a lot of them hadn't played a whole lot before, just infrequently. And you know what? It showed. Their scores were terrible to start out with. But you know what? Playing every week for 10, 15, 16 weeks, guess what happened? They done got better. Still not good, but they got better. <laughs> when you do something every week or every month, guess what? You get better. Don't expect to be great on the front end. You're going to get better. It's going to take two, three, four, five months so you get really good at this. Here's another reason they fail. We overcomplicate things. Remember in school they said, what did they say? Keep it simple. I didn't say you did. Keep it simple. It's an algorithm here. This is how much we got coming in. This is how much we're going out. Let's give every dollar a name. Keep it simple. How about this one? This is all too common. Give me a break. Don't have time to do a budget each month. To which I would reply, you don't have time not to do a budget each, each month. If you're so busy, this is actually going to simplify your life. It's going to reduce stress. It's going to bring more time into your life. It's going to bring freedom. You're like, a budget brings freedom? You're going to have to explain that one to me, Brody. Well, here's what I know. If uh, you don't have financial freedom, and now you just go out, and you're just spending money, and hey, I make some every month, and I spend some every month. I hope there's some left at the end of the month. That doesn't sound super freeing. 
But you know what it is, Fring? Man, we have a plan. We know where every dollar is going to go. So when we go spend and go out to eat right now, it's no big deal because we allotted for it. I can spend it freely. We've got a plan. Those who win at life have the end in mind, are thinking past today. Here's another reason. You have to actually do a budget. It's not a theory. It's not this one, man, guys, I'm going to, towards the guys right now, I, I have an idea in my head about what we make and we spend. It's not a theory. It's a practice. Practice putting it on paper. It works. And they talk about goals and stuff, especially around the New Year's. And if you write them down, you're like a trillion times more likely to actually, maybe not a trillion, but you're a lot more likely to achieve those goals, right? Oh, honey, don't worry about it. I have an idea of what we spend and make in our head. To quote Dr. Phil, and I hate to quote Dr. Phil, how is that working for you? Because we learned eight out of 10, eight out of 10 are living paycheck to paycheck. And here's the last one. You actually have to live on the budget you make. You know, I know I allotted 75 bucks for golf this month, but it's the 10th and I'm out of money. So I'm just going to go ahead and spend more. Then that goes into the maturity lesson, which I won't be handling today. Say, praise the Lord, because he looks like he could get mean. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that laugh, ma'am. I appreciate it. The nice part about doing a budget, a zero-based budget, is now you actually take control of your money. Instead of your money controlling you, you take control of it. Because here's what I know. Money is a terrible master, but it's an awesome servant. Money, maybe you can get that. Money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. We talked about in week one, borrower being slave to the lender. Well, in that position, money is the master and I am the slave. I, I, am, I am the servant to money. That's a terrible, inappropriate role. But you flip the roles. Here, here's what's going to happen, money. I'm going to take you because you're my servant. And you're going to pay down my mortgage. Hey, money, you're going to go over here in this Roth IRA and you're going to give me a good return or I'll put you in a different uh, mutual fund. Hey, we're going to save over here. Money, you are my servant. You do a great job as a servant, but you are a terrible master. But when you're eight out of 10 or living paycheck to paycheck, I'll let you guess who's the master, who's the servant. But by doing a budget, you take back control of your financial life and destiny. We're not even going to talk about legacy yet. Your destiny is now taken back in your own control. And now money, I'm calling the shots. Your role is over calling the shots. Another thing I hear all the time when people will start doing this old budget thing, this, this surefire money-making scheme called a budget, I tell you what, is they say, Feel like we got a raise, Brody, to which I would agree. It feels like you get a raise. I didn't work anymore. I didn't get an actual raise. What happened? Where did this money come from? Well, the money that we didn't have names before that got spent now has a place, and it feels like you're getting a raise, to which I would hope everyone here would go, I'm going to raise, not you donut shop workers. You make enough as it is. <laughs> that was number two. Do I have a plan? Told you we weren't going to get out early. Man, you got excited because the point one was... All right, moving on. Point number three. Decisions. Decisions. Zig Ziglar said, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I will tell you what is important in your life. I'd probably change it and modernize it to say, show me your Google calendar. Show me your e-bank statement, and I'll tell you what's important in your life. Because I could say, you know what? Golf isn't important in my life. You go, well, I looked in your Google Calendar and you played twice a week for the last year and your bank said you spent a lot of money pertaining to golf. Yeah, but I said it's not important. Man, the proof's in the pudding, right? You can always tell what's important to you by what you give your time, your energy, and your resources to. And so we have opportunities all throughout time. Um, 
to make decisions and decisions. In Luke 12, 34, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what I'm talking about on this point is opportunity cost. If you're familiar with opportunity cost, great, but here's a good definition. I think it makes it simple. The opportunity you forfeit, or the cost, when you make a decision. The opportunity you forfeit, or the cost, when you make a decision. So this is a great tool to use in life across the board. This isn't like relegated just to finances. This is just a life thing, but it works well in finances. And so here's a couple examples to kind of spell it out. So after service, I know many of you are going to go to Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. Again, another shameless plug. All right, moving on. You're going to go to Peace, Love, and Donuts, and you're going to say, I'm going to get a dozen donuts. Let me get uh, six maple bacons. I love that sweet, salty combo. Let me get uh, six apple pies. Love that cinnamon sugar streusel. No, all right, you haven't been there yet. Okay. You say, okay, great. That's a good choice. You know, you missed out on an opportunity. What was that? You missed the opportunity to get six Samoas and six salted caramel macchiatos. Now, there isn't a right or wrong in opportunity cost. Just every time I make a decision, okay, Bertie, well, then you're right. I'm going to get the Samoas and then get the salted caramel macchiatos. Oh, but you missed the opportunity to get the apple pies and the maple bacons. Are you getting that? How it works? How about this? Um, you know, my, my family and I have saved up. It's time for us to go on a well-earned vacation. Okay, we go on vacation. Well, we missed the opportunity to save that money. Oh, so we should save it? Hold on. If you save that money, you miss the opportunity to go on vacation. Every decision in life, not just about finances, has opportunity costs involved. And what I love about opportunity costs is it begins to retrain and reshape your thinking. So now every time I make a decision, financial or not, I'm thinking past today and I'm thinking about the potential of tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with those decisions. There isn't a right or wrong. But I'm thinking to myself, if I do, what opportunity did I miss out on? It's a wonderful tool in life and a wonderful tool in finances. So, again, like I said, there's not a correct or incorrect decision. It's just a way of thinking. And it really goes back to the uh, seven habits of the highly effective people. It gets you thinking about the end, not just the beginning. Getting you proactive, not reactive. Because remember, successful people happen to life. Unsuccessful people, life happens to them. You get to choose. It's a nice part. I mentioned this first service, <clears throat> not in the notes, but we believe in free will around here. There are many churches that don't. I believe I get to choose. God's put me in a position. Now there's consequences and rewards both ways, but we get to choose. We get to choose. I got a secret to tell you, though. Yeah, it's not a secret uh, I've shared with very many people, besides the 800 people first service, but besides that, I rarely share it. I, I don't announce it. Um, it's this. It's a, I'm a millennial. <clears throat> I'm a millennial. Man, that felt good to get it off my chest. I'm a millennial. And so now I know you're thinking right now, how dare they send a millennial to talk to us about finances this church they got a lot of nerve you know what i'm saying me take financial advice from a millennial as soon as pastors get back i'm i'm sending them an email today i'm sending them an email today i feel lied to millennials get a bad rap sometimes millennials get a bad rap they think they're too emotionally driven right because here's what i know if you let your emotions drive your behaviors always follow them if you live according to your emotions, and that's dangerous, these are my emotions, it's not hard. Your behaviors follow closely behind. But with finances and retraining your mind and this opportunity cost, you say, no emotions, you're on hold for right now. The behavior's going to drive. But here's what I know. Eventually, eventually behaviors will follow that, our emotions will follow that behavior. 
good example is this. You know, I know that guy said he couldn't run very far first week. You know, the millennial, uh, his jeans have gotten skinny over the four weeks. I knew, I thought he might have been a millennial. Keep it waist up shot if you could right now. Waist up shot right now. You know, he talked about that debt snowball first week. And emotionally, I don't want to do it. I don't have a desire. But you know what? We're not going to let our emotions drive right now. We're going to say behaviors you dictate. And we believe the emotions are going to follow. So, you know, you start working on that lowest debt. We talked about it. You knock that thing off in no time because you sold something on eBay. Now you're moving to the second debt, right? You're still paying the minimums. Plus, you took the minimum from the first debt. You're working a little extra and you throw some money at there. that. Sweet. Now you paid off the first two. Now we're on the third debt, right? And you know what? You know what? Even though I just started with behavior and my emotion wasn't there, guess what's happening? Well, emotion's starting to follow. Then you get rid of that third debt, and you're like, man, this works. Honey, I think I might like that dude. You know, the skinny millennial dude. Oh, like, uh. And then you're working hard, and you get on the fourth or fifth debt, and you're like, oh my goodness, emotions are right there with your behavior. But we're people of faith, right? We don't let emotions drive, but they are. And behavior will always follow close behind emotions, but not me. Man, behavior's going first. Emotions will follow. And here's the biblical example. We live by faith, right? Not by what we see. We don't live by emotions. We live by what the Word of God says. But here's a dangerous thing that's crept into America is we live by emotions, and then we let our, as Christians, Bible and doctrine follow that. So here's what I'm feeling or thinking. Let me find a verse or two to match up with that. That is a dangerous slippery slope, and that is a word for America today. When we don't live by emotions, we live by the Word of God. Now here's what I believe. If we just have the Word of God, sometimes that can be cold. But I believe God is a God of experience too. So I live and plant myself, my, my face like flint on the word of God. It is my everything. And I believe as I follow that, experience, emotion follows that. Hope you believe that too. But we don't. We are not led by emotion. We are led by behavior. We are led, led by the word of God and everything else follows behind. Amen. I had a professor Raymond that would say, I wish I had a bigger amen than that. I dare you say something good. Man, I wish I had a bigger amen on that one. We are people of the word of God. Emotions will follow. So we don't, uh, we don't go by emotions. We go by behavior and believe that uh, emotions will catch up. That's decisions, decisions. It's a great tool. So the last point. Well, is he or isn't he? Well, is he or isn't he? As I said a few times, this opportunity cost thing isn't just about finances. You can see how, if applied, it works really well. But it has really, it's outside of finances. It can be used for every decision. And here's a big decision it's used for. You have an opportunity on both sides, so-called opportunity. Here's the first. I get to be God in my life. As an opportunity. God gets to be God in my life. And this opportunity, so-called... I get to pick and choose what I do, what I say, who I do life with, where I work, where I live, everything. Sounds pretty sweet, maybe. And this one, opportunity, I give lordship of my life to Jesus. There's some benefits there, too. Although my sins are like scarlet over here, man, he, he washed me white as snow over here. Oh, he takes me out of the kingdom of darkness and transplants me into the kingdom of light. Man, I walk in the goodness of God over here. But there's some so-called opportunities I forfeit if I do that. I don't get to determine. I don't get to dictate. I don't get to choose. I forfeit and I give that over to him. To which you're saying, this is a nice segue to an altar call. 
But here's the thing. This is where I talk to you Christians. You're a Christian out there. You are a follower of Christ. That's what Christian means. You are a disciple of Christ. You say, I am a Christian. I not only believe, I trust and rely on God, and I follow him. That means I'm speaking to you. You get excited. I appreciate that. Just a little stat real quick before I go into that. You know, in the, in the Bible, talking about Jesus, it refers to him as Savior 15 times in my translation. Lord, 618. Jesus is mentioned 15 times as Savior, 618 as Lord. Because here's what I know, and I'm guilty of it too, but there is an epidemic in America with Christians, of Christ followers. That here I have Jesus, or I have myself, as my God and my Lord. And here I have Jesus as my Savior. And I say, you know what? I want to straddle this fence. And here's the row of fence, and there are countless multitudes of Christians straddling it, saying, God, I'll gladly come to you for salvation. You will wash my uh, sins white as snow. I will take my mansion over the hill, but I will not give you my finances. You will not reign over me. You will not be Lord over me in my life. You say, well, which one am I? Well, here's what I know, and I'm guilty too. There's decisions, there's areas in our life. We're talking about finances today. Have I given God the keys to my life in finances? Lord, do you actually have the reign? Do you dictate what I give? Do you dictate how I manage it? Do you dictate how I spend? Do you get to choose, God? Or do I sit on the fence and say, you've saved me and I want heaven, but you will not reign over me in my finances? Ah, that's tough. Because I've been talking to the Lord this week, obviously, because I can't do this. And I'm like, you know, somebody else could totally preach. It's hard enough to preach. Then you get the call up to preach on finances. Oh, Lord, his grace is sufficient, <laughs> which it is. But I've been praying and believing that you guys will wake up, people will wake up and have a heart to receive. Because I believe and I've asked and I've believed that the Holy Spirit is going to do what only he does in this room. Nothing I can't do or even the greatest preacher I can't convict you under righteousness. I can't convict anyone under right standing. I can't convict anyone to the right living. And the right living is Jesus Christ as Lord of every area of our life. So I'm asking again, Holy Spirit, even though there's walls put up and there's pride and there's arrogance and there's stiff arm, I can literally feel the stiff arm on the message because he just went from being funny to being real. And I don't want to hear it right now. But as we're on the fence, multitudes of Christians, and I'm guilty too, saying, God, you're my savior, but you will not be Lord. That is not God's best in any area. And so I ask the Holy Spirit to convict men and women unto the right position that he is Lord. Right now, Holy Spirit, prick and prod our hearts. What are the areas is it finances is it the unhealthy relationship with the opposite sex is it the thought life is it the work life fill in the blank the holy spirit's doing it right now in some hearts i believe it by faith that says man i am on the fence in this area and i'm straddling that fence when am i going to give it all and make him the lord the lord the 618 times mentioned in the word of god not 15 lord of my life and not only is he the perpetuation for my sin, and he gets me to heaven, and praise God for that. But additionally, you have my life. That is my goal in finances for, for you. That is our goal in finances for you, to walk in God's best. We talked about the blessing and the promise, the promise to get there. But man, that's just finances. It may seem like I'd be better off if I just got to control. But faith says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Oh God, what kind of plans are those? Well, there are plans for a future. 
their plans for the all needed hope, their plans to prosper you, to give you enough for the journey, whatever he's called you to. They're good, not for harm, if you'll trust me. But you don't just trust me. I trust you to not go to hell. I trust you with my life. He doesn't want our sin. He wants our life. He wants us now. It's not like, hey, I'll see you in 60, 70, 90 years when you get to heaven. He's like, I died to have you and all of you now. It can be hard to receive, but it's the truth of the word of God. And it really does result in your best life now, not your best life later. And so I would feel guilty if I didn't present the truth of the word of God like it or unfortunately not. Give you the opportunity to go, oh my goodness, I'm going to check my heart. And guess what? I'm going to check my heart and say, God, where have I straddled the stinking fence and not given you lordship in that area? Because God, I want you to have it because I want to walk in God's best because I want to be under your guidance, your leadership. And I believe your way is better than my way. It's the ultimate opportunity cost. Again, like I talked about free will, and that will ruffle some feathers in this town. I believe we have the choice. We get to choose. I believe it. We get to choose. I could say, nope, this is what I want. I want to run this life. I want to be God over me. I'm my own Lord. Or we say, God, I surrender. I've been holding on to some things. I've been straddling that fence for far too long. I have not let you lead my marriage. I have not let you lead my finances. I have not taken you on the job. I have not given you my foul life. I have not given you my sickness. I have not given, but God, no longer. I give you lordship. I give you the keys. I give you the reins. You get to drive and lead my life. The ultimate opportunity costs. And if you're honest, because I'm being honest, there's plenty of times, seasons, where the Lord convicted me and I realized, God, I had I'd been retaining this area. And I wasn't walking in God's best because of that. Because God's ownership of our life begins where the ownership of our life ends. God's true ownership of my life starts where my ownership ends. So what's the solution? Because remember, I'm still talking about Christians. Maybe we didn't even get to the altar call yet. Don't worry, we'll get there. What's the solution? Well, even when I've been faithless, thank goodness he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says it this way. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God's character is faithfulness, and he cannot change, and he cannot deny it. Even in my faithless and my lack of faithfulness, he remained faithful. And he's still sitting there saying, Brody, I'll take control, but you've got to give it to me. He doesn't take it. We give it to him, believing it's in our best interest. So God is faithful. Even when I am faithless or am not faithful, compared with 1 John 1, 9, which was written to believers, if we confess, confess our sins, he is faithful. If, it's an important word in the Bible, if I confess my sins of not making him Lord in every area, good news is he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive me of all those sins. He will cleanse me of all unrighteousness, of all unrighteous living. And God's good. And he said, man, his mercies, his mercy is not getting what you deserve. His mercies of what I deserve are new every morning. It's a great word for this morning. You woke up, who knows what happened last night? Give him the Lord of your life, that make him the Lord of your life, that might change. But thank goodness, I don't get what I deserve every day. That is mercy. 
His mercies are new every day. In addition to that, his grace all the time. I get what I don't deserve, his grace. Man, if you haven't checked, we're getting the good side of the deal. It's the trade of the century. (laughs) So even when I'm lack of faith and faithless and not faithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And if I confess my sins... He's faithful and he's just to forgive you every one of them. How long are we going to waver? How long are we going to straddle this fence? Then the world needs some Christians who say, Jesus is my Lord. Lord, inhabit my life. Not the, you can save me, buddy. I'm at my mansion over the hill, but I'm going to do this. It says, God, you are, I'm all yours. Here are the keys to my life. I believe that you're going to rule and reign. It's in my best interest. Lord, you have good plans for me. So I'm almost more challenging the believer, the Christ follower, the Christian today in finances, because we talk about finances, but in every area of your life. Is there anything? Has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart? Has he pricked an area that came up in your remembrance? Because you know what it says? He brings things to our remembrance. He points us to the spirit of truth because he's the spirit of truth. What has he said? Hey, Holy Spirit's like, if you'll give this to me, I guarantee it works out in your best interest. But you've got to give it to me.